Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tony Katz. This is Kendall and Casey. The Amber and Nigel Show. All right, well, when does your show start? Do we know? I feel like I've been promoting this for nine years now. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and welcome to the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. A lot going on this evening, so let's get right to some of the breaking news. First of all, the first House impeachment vote. Uh, to impeach uh, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas of the Department of Homeland Security has failed. It failed 216 to 214. Now, there are a couple of interesting points because I was quite honestly sitting on the edge of my seat uh, in deep conversation with Virginia Allen over at the Daily Signal, my colleague, discussing uh, literally as the timer ticked down, we knew it was going to be neck and neck because of the incredibly slim lead that the uh, Republican Party currently Uh, I wouldn't say enjoys, but certainly has in the House of Representatives. And as the timer ended, uh, it went 215 yay, 215 no, with one Republican uh, not voting. And that, of course, is Steve Scalise, and he is out for cancer treatments. Now, this is where things get a little bit interesting, because it was at 215, it was starting to get a little bit... um, uh, shall we say rambunctious? I think that's maybe the, the best way to put it. As things started to get a little rowdy with some shouting and calls to order going on, a uh, Republican flipped to no. He's flipped from yay to no. Uh, that is Blake Moore from Utah. Now, it's in- incredibly important to note, Blake Moore, the Republican, did not flip from yes to no because he was against impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas for the high crimes and misdemeanors Uh, that uh, he allegedly is committed by not keeping the border secure, uh, by ordering the Border Patrol agents and members of the Homeland Security forces uh, to ferry illegal immigrants throughout the country instead of turning them back uh, to where they came from. No, uh, Blake Moore from Utah voted no so that he could make a motion to reconsider the vote at a later date when Steve Scalise is back from his cancer treatments and could then feasibly make... Uh, the impeachment uh, happen, so to say. Instead, we would be left with 216 to 215. That is an incredibly slim majority. And again, this is the consequences of the uh, 2022 midterm election uh, come to bear. When you do not run on good candidates who can actually master both good governance and an understanding of carrying yourself well in the public eye, you have some serious problems to face. And again, this is one of the reasons that Ronna McDaniel from the RNC is under such heavy scrutiny because she's supposed to be the lady that delivers the the heavy-hitting majorities in the House and in the Senate. And at a time when, uh, in midterm elections, when the majority usually flips the other way, that should have been a heavy pendulum swing towards the Republican Party. And of course, that did not happen at all. Now, even if and when, assuming that the votes go the same way when Steve Scalise is back from his cancer treatments, um, it's pretty much a 0% chance that you're actually going to see uh, Republicans uh, succeed in removing uh, Mayorkas in the Senate. That's because Democrats retain control in the Senate. But that's not really the only reason why. Uh, Mayorkas is safe because there are very likely to be several Republican senators that do not vote to remove him. 
And then, of course, looking at the two most moderate Democrats in the Senate, that being uh, Cinema as well as uh, Manchin, very, very unlikely that they flip to impeach him. Uh, there has been no communication in the Cinema or Manchin camps or offices that they would support impeaching Mayorkas. So uh, why is this bad for the Democrats? Uh, this is a very, very bad thing. You would think that this kind of a defeat for the Republicans, uh, if they're not able to impeach and remove Alejandro Mayorkas, this is a really bad thing, right? This is a failure for the Republicans. Well, that's actually not the case. The reason it is not the case is because Alejandro Mayorkas is incredibly discordant with the Biden administration's policies. This is the worst February into an election season for the Democrat Party since its inception. There has never been a time, especially under modern polling, in which there has been this much despair among Democrats and divide since the Democrats were picking different candidates to run in different portions of the country. It is wild what is going on right now, because on one half of the Democrat Party, you have those who... I, I, I can't even believe this now include Al Sharpton saying that we have all of these illegal immigrants streaming across the border. There was this huge crisis. A lot of Democrats in both the Senate and the House saying that this is a crisis. Some saying indeed that it actually also is an invasion. Whereas on the other side of Biden, the more progressive left, and we'll be getting into comments uh, from individuals like Pramila Jayapal here in a little bit saying that actually we need more immigration, more illegal immigration. It's actually good that you have migrants streaming across the border. Here is uh, Alejandro Mayorkas making that case before a Senate committee hearing back in March of 2023. So, Senator, it is an economic security threat. Uh, the, um, uh, the shortage of workers. We have employers who are striving to hire, to find people who could fill jobs to contribute to our country's economic prosperity. Regrettably, regrettably, our legal immigration system is not designed to meet that need of employers here in the United States, despite the fact, despite the fact that individuals from other countries want to come here to work even seasonally, even temporarily, earn the money that they can um, bring back to their home countries and support their families. So that's Mayorkas saying that he's actually all in favor of as many people across the border as you can physically get in the country. And uh, guys, that's problematic for the Democrats because the Biden administration cannot simultaneously say they want to crack down on the border, which is what Biden is saying now, while his own Department of Homeland Security secretary is running around telling everyone that we have a labor shortage, so what we really need is a lot of immigrants. And there's another problem the Democrats have. Voters remember this one. Guys, the whole Democrats want more illegal immigrants, Republicans want to shut the border, has literally been the most common understanding among the general populace for the last 40, 50, 60 years. Like, if you were to ask a high school freshman who knew nothing about politics, maybe only what they barely caught on the 6 p.m. news earlier on when the parents had it on. If you were to ask them what the basic policies of the Republican and Democrat parties were, they would tell you that the Democrats liked immigration and the Republicans wanted to shut the border. That has been known for all time. So this last-minute switch, because Biden is at a 37% approval rating in an election year, in a, a, an incumbent election year 
oh man, that is, it's not good. It's just not good. And and to make matters worse, the whole Senate border deal, the bipartisan home run that that was was supposed to be this huge win for the Democrats, uh, yeah, it, it ain't happening. And the Democrats wanted to push the narrative that, well, well, we've been trying to reform immigration in the right way for years, and Republicans just won't do anything because Republicans like to run on the issue, but they don't like to, to solve the issue. And that's a comment that I've I've heard quite a bit in the last couple of days. The funny thing is, uh, you don't even have to go to the policy wonks. You don't have to pick up the latest article from the Wall Street Journal or uh, from the, the Federalist or or from whoever it is on, on the left to tell you that this is really not going to work. You can ask the average American, the average individual who just casually catches the news secondhand, if it's possible that the Republicans have tried to pass uh, harsher border measures over the last couple of years. And they'll tell you, yeah, because Trump set up a lot of things to close the border. He started construction of the border wall. He made immigration a lot more difficult. Uh, remember in 2021, those are the things that Biden came in and removed on day one. And ever since he removed them all, he trotted Corinne Jean-Pierre, or before her, Jen Psaki, up before the press. And what did they say repeatedly? The border is secure. The border is secure. The border is secure. Kamal Harris came out repeatedly and said the border is secure. And everyone said the border is clearly not secure. This was in 2022. The New York Post wrote an article that said the White House had trotted out the press secretary to double down on and defend the comments of Vice President Kamala Harris and saying, yes, the border is very secure. Now, now, wait a minute, guys. Wait, wait just a minute. Um, why would the Biden administration be telling everyone that this whole time they like the border's been a mess, sure, but but Republicans have actually been the ones stalling. And and uh why would they have spent the last couple of years saying the border's secure? That's a little suspicious. Oh, oh, that's right. You wouldn't say, uh yeah, my my you know, my opponent doesn't want to do anything, and that's because everything's fine. Oh, that that's right. That's not actually a message the Democrats have run with. They're trying to flip to this now because it is so grossly unpopular, even in inner city Democrat districts in which black Democrats in Chicago are suing the mayor's office of Chicago because of the migrants. There are protests in New York City right now staffed by Republican protesters, centrist, oh no, Democrat protesters against migrants who are taking up space in New York City public schools, as well as other buildings and recreational facilities that New York City children and citizens, might I add, are supposed to occupy. Who else is this really unpopular with? It's unpopular with legal immigrants. The Hispanic communities across the Midwest are extremely fed up watching footage of Chinese nationals, Turkish nationals, Indonesian nationals, individuals that are on the terror watch list slipping through the border from Azerbaijan and Iran, not to mention other areas around the world that are are very intense, for example, individuals coming from Somalia, and they're just heading across the southern border, just waltzing into the country. They're, they're momentarily spoken to by Border Patrol, ferried a, a small distance away, and then released into the country forever. Who knows? That is the issue the modern American is going to have come November. And it's not going to be that you're going to have people come and vote for Trump and against Biden. 
because of the border. But a lot of individuals who were promised that Biden was going to be that comforting grandfather that we could lean on and was going to unite the country and everything was going to go back to being sane, they were lied to and they're not going to come vote for him. Just like in 2016, when, when Trump won the election because people did not come vote for Hillary, you were looking at the exact same situation. And, and not only that, the illegal immigration is so bad for Biden. It's not just that illegal immigration slightly rose under Biden. The number of illegal immigrants that have entered the United States during the Biden administration, according to an article uh, from The Hill uh, by uh, Merrill Matthews, the number of illegal immigrants that have passed into the United States and are currently free running around since the Biden administration began is double the number of the number of illegal immigrants in the country any time before that. Biden didn't just double Trump's illegal immigrant numbers. Biden doubled the total number of illegal immigrants in the United States. You think voters aren't going to remember that? Come election day? You think they're going to come out and vote so that that kind of stuff continues? And we'll talk a little bit more about this supposed border deal that, that I guess the Democrats are trying to say was super duper and strong. And even Dan Crenshaw shoved his foot in his mouth over here. And we'll actually read the bill, you know, like grownups here in the next segment. But uh, it really bears a moment to explain why Biden is so screwed. Why is Biden wedged between Mayorkas and the border at this present moment? Because Biden has people on the right of him admitting that it's a crisis. And finally, we have to do something about it. Biden's actions already show that he was getting rid of every single Trump executive order. He eventually got rid of Title 42 and a number of other immigration measures which limited the amount of illegal immigrants present in the United States, including deportation and stay in Mexico. Now, Biden has to reckon with that history because those articles aren't all gone. They're still there. The videos of Karine Jean-Pierre saying stupid stuff, they're still there. But he also has to reckon with people on the left of him. This is the real kicker. Biden can't please the labor Democrats on the right of him that are against this massive illegal immigration, but he also can't pander to the individuals on the left who are super for illegal immigration. Here is Pramila Jayapal saying that what we really need is, is a ton of more illegal immigration and don't you dare call them illegals. This bill is another example of that. And I hope my colleagues will stop referring to people as illegals. People are human beings. They have different statuses. Some are undocumented. If you want to say some are illegal, but let's not call human beings illegal. Tired of that language. I urge my colleagues to reject this bill, and I yield back the balance of my time. Let's not call them illegal. Oh, I mean, sure, they've committed crime, and sure, a lot of the gangs of illegal immigrants are uh, stealing, um, carjacking, beating up police officers, uh, and getting away scot-free for it, uh, and committing a lot of crime in the country, which uh, committing crimes, uh, that's the opposite of legal. Oh, that's illegal. Sure. Uh, but, you know, don't call them illegal. Oh, what we need is more immigrants in the country. And then you have idiots like uh, a Fabiola Santiago at the uh, Miami Herald um, saying that by forcing individuals uh, like uh, homeless or illegal immigrants into monitored camps for processing, uh, that's internment and and asking if we're Nazi Germany. So that's that's the left. So Biden cannot get the entire Democrat base to come out and vote for him because he has split his own party in half. And it's really really funny. It's just it it's 
it's really funny. I don't feel bad for them at all. So speaking of not feeling bad for them at all, the great Senate border bill of old, the, the magical bipartisan bill that was going to be so great. Oh, it was just so important. The toughest border bill ever. Yeah, it failed. And uh, you've been told that it was the superest duperest bill since sliced bread. And uh, here's a fun fact. It wasn't. And we're going to go through it here in just a few minutes. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. When St. Jude opened in 1962, childhood cancer was considered incurable. Since then, St. Jude has helped push the overall survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Join me today in supporting St. Jude by calling 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 to become a partner in hope. Your gift to St. Jude could last a lifetime. Go, 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 go. And on the this count of three, is the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. Welcome back to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. It's good to be with you this evening on this episode exclusive to the podcast as well as the live stream both on Twitter X and YouTube.com slash WIBC. When uh, I used to run a website and a an outlet, let's say, called the Chalkboard Review, uh, we focused a lot on education legislation. We weren't just satisfied kind of talking about the teachers' different perspectives, although that was a lot of what we published. We were also uh, rather interested in seeing the number of education coverage pieces uh, from outlets like Chalkbeat uh, and uh, EdNow and a lot of other education outlets and even a lot of regional affiliation outlets that would cover education bills in a really crappy way, which is to say they would very briefly outline the bill. A lot of times they wouldn't even quote the bill. Uh, they would usually come up with like some extra stuff that wasn't even in the bill, things that the author would just assume. They would then take a quote from a left-leaning advocate uh, who often would parrot the line in the uh, piece itself. And about one out of every five or six times, they would then ask a Republican legislator a question and it would be like a one sentence answer and they would post it. And that's how, again, that's how half of the chalkbeat education reporting on uh, pieces of legislature articles go. Uh, same with a lot of regional news affiliates, not just in Indiana, but across the country. And so we started a series called read the bill in which we would uh, take weird claims made by uh, outlets around the country. And then we would read the bill and find out if the claim was, was true or not. I know a very crazy concept and what we found over, I think, 16 Read the Bill articles over about a year, that almost every single claim that was made by these outlets about these bills were garbage. And not only were they garbage and horribly false, it could have been alleviated by just reading like the first paragraph in the bill. The biggest, the biggest example, of course was uh, Florida's quote-unquote don't say gay bill, which never mentioned anything about saying gay at all, or you know, banning teachers from having a picture of their spouse if they were a homosexual couple, oh God, and a bunch of other things that never happened. 
And I'm seeing the same kind of stuff now with uh, this this Senate National Security Act or, or whatever Biden's interns have come up with for the day, because Biden certainly can't say it more than once without uh, falling into jello mouth. So I'm going to do us a little bit of a favor here. We're going to go over what's actually in the bill, because as the next couple of months go by, while floundering in the polls, Democrats are going to try to tell you, but well, well, we tried to give you what you wanted. We, we tried so hard to, you said you wanted a stricter border. We gave you a stricter border. Today, I, I likened this to an individual who has their window broken. And cold air is now getting into the house because there's a window that's broken and it's January. And uh, the U.S. Senate says, no problem, we'll fix that window for you. Here's a window made out of paper towels, asbestos, and rusty nails. And of course, anyone that has half a brain would say, why, uh, that's terrible. That's an awful window. It doesn't block the cold air. It's made out of cancer-causing asbestos for crying out loud. I'm, I'm, that's a terrible window. I don't want it. Get that out of here. And then the Senate and the Democrats go, well, you asked for a window, and now you're complaining. Now you got to pick a side, man. So uh, let's take a look at the rusty nails, paper towels, and asbestos that makes up this particular uh, window from the U.S. Senate. So first of all, this National Security Act includes way, 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 way more than uh, just spending on the border. It includes $14 billion for assistance in Israel, $60, billion for Ukraine, and uh, $4.83 billion just to uh, Indo-Pacific nations. And that includes more than just Taiwan. This is my favorite part. It includes $9.2 billion in humanitarian aid for the civilians in Gaza, the West Bank, Ukraine, and other nations, as well as, finally, $20 billion in what are called U.S. border funds. And part of those U.S. border funds include funding for nonprofits and organizations that have been caught ferrying individuals across the border uh, and uh, participating in highly illegal acts. A lot of those investigations are still ongoing, but the video looks pretty damning. Now, it should be noted that of the $9.2 billion in humanitarian aid uh, for civilians in Gaza, we have yet to actually put aid in the hands of any citizens in Gaza. And as the citizens in Gaza, the civilians in Gaza, will tell you and have told, not just American networks, but Al Jazeera, the Hamas terrorists who are governing Gaza will steal any humanitarian aid that enters the country at all, or enters the region, and will then give the people nothing. So uh, I love that there's about $4 billion here in this bill that's directly funding Hamas terrorists, so super duper. So that's the funding side. We'll get that out of the way, and we will move on to some of the language. So one of the biggest, most damning things that is not something that could be easily fixed if another administration were in power, states in line 17, only by the United States District Court for the District of Columbia, which shall have sole and original jurisdiction to hear challenges, whether constitutional or otherwise, to the validity of this section or any written policy directive, written policy guideline, written procedure, or the implementation thereof, issued by or under the authority of the secretary to implement this section. That means that instead of federal courts near the border actually hearing uh, cases regarding the bill, the extremely far to the left liberal court 
in Washington, D.C., would be in charge of all of the court cases regarding everything from immigration to asylum to questions about immigration policy, like, you know, when the president can and can't deploy the U.S. Army or the National Guard uh, to the border. So we would have a federal court, an extremely left-leaning federal court, that would have complete supremacy over absolutely everything regarding the border. That's in the bill. So when Representative Dan Crenshaw was like, this is a really good thing, uh, that's idiot point number one. Let's keep moving. There is a good thing in the bill. There is one good thing. It updates the language for individuals uh, asking for asylum. It updates some requirements. So before... It, or I should say, as of right now, all you have to do is wander into the country and say, I believe I'm in danger. I am here to seek asylum. And then you're you're here. Congratulations. You wait, you know, 587 years for your court date. You're here. Enjoy the welfare. Uh, now, according to this bill, or I shouldn't say now because the bill's dead on arrival. According to this bill, uh, you would now have to state why you wouldn't be safe if you just uh, moved somewhere in your own country. So let's say I'm uh, in Iran and uh, I have somehow made it across the Atlantic Ocean uh, to the United States, I or excuse me, to uh, Mexico. And then I have walked north up to the US-Mexico border like uh, several Iranian nationals have been caught doing. And you say, I'm here to seek asylum and uh, I am scared for my life. And the border patrol agent or the individual working for the immigration system uh, will then ask you, well, why don't you just like move to the other side of Iran? To which uh, any individual um, who has, well, I mean, there are entire TikTok uh, pages that are dedicated to helping you get across the U.S. border. Uh, but you could just simply say the regime of Iran could easily track me uh, if I moved from one end of Iran to the other. And that's it. So that's the only upgrade in the entire bill for the border. That is... Uh, saying that you have to give a little more reason if you're seeking asylum. So uh, whoop-de-doo, uh, but that is there. So making sure, again, that we're as fair as possible, even though that's uh, kind of like putting a velvet rope in front of a cement mixer. This is my next uh, favorite piece. Uh, Senator Langford of Oklahoma made it very clear that there would not be um, an allowance of 5,000 or more illegal immigrants into the country per day, at least, before the secretary... Um, could call some kind of emergency and maybe shut the border down. Um, section uh, in, on page 212, line 4, it says, During a period of seven consecutive calendar days that there's an average of 5,000 or more aliens who are encountered each day, then the border emergency might be triggered. So it's actually worse than 5,000 a day. So if you have seven consecutive days where there's 5,000 or more which are encountered, not tracked, not suspected to enter, but encountered and then released, then after seven days, you can go ahead and it's fine. Or on any one calendar day, a combined total of 8,500 or more. So actually, it's 8,500 a day, as long as every six or seven days you encounter under 4,000. That's, that's incredible. But wait, there's more. Like Billy Mays, there's a little bit more to this particular sale. According to Section 2 and Special Rules, letter A, unaccompanied alien children exception, for the purpose of calculating the number under paragraph 1, which we just read, the secretary shall count all unaccompanied alien children 
who are nationals of contiguous countries, processed at the Southwest Land Border Ports of Entry, but shall not count such children who are nationals of non-contiguous countries. That means that if there are children entering the United States and they are not from Mexico or from Canada, they don't count. Which means if, if you happen to have, let's say, uh, a group of 500 minors, again, children doesn't mean like five-year-old children holding a lollipop, um, 17-year-olds, 517-year-olds from Venezuela, which is a common occurrence, by the way. Uh, those 500 don't count because they're not from Mexico. I want to find out uh, whoever wrote this particular section and call their parents to apologize for the disappointment that must be this child. That's pathetic. There's not even an arbitrary reason you could give me that any of that makes sense. Continuing on. The Border Emergency Authority, this is the best part, is only allowed to be in effect for no more than 270 days of its first year, 225 days in its second year, and 180 days total in its third and final year. That means, ladies and gentlemen, that there are hundreds of days per year, especially after the first year, uh, a 90 days in year one and over 100 days in year two and three in which you're not allowed to have a border emergency. So it doesn't matter that in the Biden administration, millions are crossing the border. Even if this bill passed, you wouldn't even be allowed to close the border. We would actually have laws on the books that prevent the United States from closing its own border. There is no clause anywhere in this bill that says in the time of a national emergency or war, the United States may close its border. Nope. This piece of legislation, absolutely, and first of all, it's unconstitutional because it violates the rights of the states and the federal government to protect its own borders in an emergency situation. So, so that's the first problem. Number two, this border bill actually makes the border worse. It's, it's not even like it sort of helps, but it's not good enough. It makes it worse in almost every conceivable way. This is the best part, though. The bill states that the president of the United States can overrule the Secretary of Homeland Security to cancel the emergency. So the President of the United States cannot order an emergency, but he does have the ability to cancel the Secretary of Homeland Security's decision to close the border. So uh, there you go. That's that's called reading the bill. You're allowed to do that, actually. You, you see, the, the kind of cool thing about the bills being put on the floor is that you as a citizen of the United States own that floor. That is the people's floor of your Congress. And you get to read the bill and determine how much garbage and crap is in that bill. Now, Speaker Johnson in the House this evening tried to put forward a measure to separate out some of the foreign spending funding. Because one would think that perhaps the legislators might vote on border spending, and then in a separate bill, Israel, and then in a separate bill, Ukraine, and then in a separate bill, Taiwan, and then everyone flips off giving money to Hamas. Well, I mean, of course, except the, the squad. Uh, but that's not going to happen. And so it is incumbent on you as a citizen, before you whine and complain on social media, and this is for people on the right and the left, read the bill. Because it's amazing what you can find out, scrawled out by some second law intern from Representative Who Cares office at 2.30 in the morning. Up next, we're going to be talking to Kate Trinko, the editor-in-chief of The Daily Signal, because while uh, not every article catches my eye, um, the left going all in on polyamory as uh, the next stripe for the pride flag. That's uh, that's pretty wild. Stick around. You're listening to the Tony Kinnick cast on 93 WIBC. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in Hope today. The Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. Hey, welcome back to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. Uh, there are a lot of things out there that are disturbing. I mean, it's the internet. Come on. Like, it's, it's like par for the course. That's not even par. That's like under par that's a bogey everyone knows creepy stuff is out there on the internet it's it's just the way it is but somehow when it comes to really creepy weird stuff the left always finds a way to go above and beyond and uh there are a couple of articles that i come across in the day-to-day that reaffirm that solid truth death taxes and the left getting uh obsessed with weird new sex things and in this case that's a polyamory uh, joining us is Kate Trinko, the editor-in-chief of The Daily Signal, and usually the one who's telling me uh, that my article needs work. Um, thanks for joining us this evening, Kate. Thanks for having me, Tony. And you have fair play to tell me that my voice or interview needs work. Oh, that yeah, that'll that'll go great in the next <laughs> HR meeting. So uh, more importantly, though, you, you came across this situation in which a lot of individuals on the left both in publication as as well as just social media in general, are obsessed with polyamory. So first of all, break down the idea of, of polyamory for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my mom, after reading the article, was like, okay, I didn't know what that was, and I had to explain it. So polyamory, if you are a normal American leading a normal life, is not something you're probably familiar with. It basically is having multiple um, romantic or sexual partners, Um, generally it means doing so not by cheating, but by openly saying one or both of you are going to have multiple partners. And the thing is, you would like to think this is some crazy leftist idea, but there's actually some polling that suggests it's catching on and people are interested in it. And and so many, first of all, there seemed to be a time in the country, at least where we like made jokes about the audacity of some of these kinds of nonsense. And now they have become new identities, not just things that people are interested in, but things that people are wrapping their entire lives around. Um, and I'm I'm looking at it's some of the polls here in this article um, about monogamy soon to just be some kind of uh, religious backwater idea that you would you know, stay next to one person your entire life. Why aren't you out there screwing everyone around in existence? I forget a couple. Uh, what did we say the other day? A thruple or a quadruple? Good Lord, I can't even imagine the Valentine's Day bills for that. (laughs) That is a great point that that would increase your Valentine's Day bills. Yeah, I mean, I remember a few years ago, um, I was on a dating app and I kept seeing the words ENM. And I was like, what does ENM mean? Well, it means ethically non-monogamous. And there were a bunch of men. Ethically non-monogamous. That sounds like ethically sourced ground beef. (laughs) Wait, what is, so is it like ethical as in 
you follow like you're all vegan and you're non-monogamous. Well, what's what's that? It's ethical insofar as you are saying your partner is aware that you have other partners. In oh, romantic mm. Now, I would argue, being one of those crazy Christians, that it's still not ethical, but that is the designation. And yeah, so when a bunch of uh, leftist news outlets started writing about it this year, I was like, what's going on? And they all went back to this one particular book called More by Molly Roden Winter. So she lives in Brooklyn, surprise, surprise. And she actually writes about her experience of polyamory of, I guess, to use your new favorite phrase, ethical non-monogamy. And it's a nightmare. I was I, I was just genuinely curious. I was like, let's see what someone who definitely doesn't share my values has to say about this. And it sounded awful. On with Kate Trinko from The Daily Signal on an article going over how uh, the traditional way of life, how women's rights are being erased by this new fascination from the left polyamory. Remember, guys, it's just they just they just want to be recognized as people for their sex lives and left alone. And and then they, they want a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And now it's dressing up in animal suits and having sex with eight or nine people. The weirdest things. I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not normally one to pull out the, the physical appearance card and how an individual looks. But in the New York Times tweet, when they talk about her new memoir, More, by Molly Roden Winter, she doesn't look like someone who's like really happy about things. Like she's, you know, like someone who's like really has like a joyous life. They have like the laugh lines and it like you can just tell that they've done a lot of smiling in her life. And she looks like she teaches potions at Hogwarts. I mean, she looks unhappy about everything. I'm not talking about her physical appearance. I mean, she looks sad. I mean, th th this can't be fulfilling that like you can't even lock down one person to love you. Like you have to share the most intimate moments of your life. I mean, her book is read very sad to me. And I, I found it really interesting because she would have bits of like what she thought she needed to say or what she must tell herself at 3am in the morning. And, you know, I choose polyamory. I feel fulfilled by it. I've expanded my horizons. I've learned. But when you dig into the actual details, and here's where I want to give uh, Molly Roden winner credit, because she is very honest about a lot of painful things. Um, you know, initially, she, you know, flirted with a guy for a drink at a bar, went home, thought nothing of it, of it. And then uh, her husband, um, to be honest, he was turned on by it. And he was like, why don't you explore this? Why don't you see this guy again? And so to me, the craziest thing is, you know, you talked about women's rights, obviously, well, obviously, feminism has a very mixed record. But you know, there have been many of us would agree advances for women. But here we are, it's 2024. And a woman is writing a memoir about exploring polyamory because her husband wanted her to. I mean, frankly, I would rather my husband want me barefoot in the kitchen than to explore polyamory. I'm not sure that we've traded up. I got to tell you, I really do enjoy seeing my wife barefoot in the kitchen. So that's, that's a fair point. There, there are two paragraphs here that, that I, I feel compelled to read because it is one of the saddest things while at the same time being the moment of complete lack of self-awareness. So you wrote, when Molly stops finding men on Ashley Madison, a dating site for cheaters, her luck doesn't substantially change. She meets Carl, who has a bisexual girlfriend. At first, Carl is wonderful, but after Molly isn't enthusiastic enough about a threesome with him and his girlfriend, a threesome she talks herself into despite her clear reluctance, Carl disappears. Months later, she sees a wedding photo of Carl and his girlfriend. Looking at the two of them together, I feel sure I spent more time thinking about Carl than he spent thinking about me. I was merely a pawn. 
Martina liked straight women. Carl's job was to bring them home to her. She writes like that's so sad. Like she, she recognizes that when you start taking intimate moments that are meant to be between a man and a woman, that it's supposed to be precious and special and exclusive. And you start tying that to this casual American throwaway style consumerism that you end up feeling used because that's how it's always been with sex that's not monogamous. It always ends with someone feeling used. And it doesn't click for her that it's a pattern, not an isolated event. Right. And I mean, throughout the book, uh, Carl was, to me, the saddest. But she has several encounters with men where it's so clear she's being used. They don't treat her well. It's all about their sexual pleasure, not hers. Like, it's just grubby, um, like the sort of places they meet. They're mad at her for not going to sex clubs. Um, It's just reading it, you just... And here I thought chess club was bad. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just reading it, I honestly was like, oh, could someone talk to this poor woman and be like, you don't have to do this. That's that's what gets me. And, I, and I'll, I'll finish up here with a, uh, a tweet that I saw. I was going to save it for a segment I'd usually do on Thursdays called Awful Tweets. By the way, we're on with Kate Trinko from The Daily Signal here on the Tony Kinnick cast on 93 WIBC. There was a tweet that was sent out um, by this individual on Twitter named H. Pearl Davis and I guess as a kind of populist individual on the right. And um, I was going to save it to dunk on during this awful tweet segment that I usually do, but I think that it's probably more applicable to take a look at here. Um, She wrote, do the traditional conservatives really think that these only fans whores are going to find Jesus? And the, the implication there being like, these people aren't worth your time, you know, go try to spread the gospel to others who are actually worth it. And that, like the situation of this clearly sad case, it would be very easy to just say, well, she deserves what she's got and she deserves to just squander away and waste away. And uh, I'm called back to the book of Hosea, which is entirely about God commanding a man who was cheated on by his wife. And by the way, his wife literally used her husband's money to do the cheating. And God says, no, you go back and you get her and you redeem her because all of humanity is is the cheater in the relationship to God. And it, it anchors me because it, it reminds me that uh, this, this individual who wrote this very sad book that you reference, and even though a lot of this stuff is from her own doing, it, it still shows that, I don't know, that I, my heart goes out. To, I hate that she's feeling that kind of pain because that's always how sin is. It's always unfulfilling. Right. And I think to go back to the tweet about OnlyFans, why does OnlyFans profitable for women? Because men watch it. And I really think that, you know, as much as I wish um, these women made different decisions in their lives, I let's start with the men. <laughs> let's end the marketplace mm-hmm. here. And and realistically, I think that's, that's kind of the point that I, I draw a cultural conclusion to whenever I see a new stripe about to go up on the pride flag. And like polyamory is clearly getting ready for its stripe to be up there. Um, we've had all the color had, scheme. They come yeah, up had all of the important stripes on the pride flag. You had gay, lesbian, you had bisexual, you had non-binary and trans. Um, you had black and brown people. Um, Hamas, a great addition as well. <laughs> And, and now polyamory. And again, it just shows not, not the, the list that I, that I just came up with, but the idea of adding another identity to celebrate just because it's different, adding another stripe isn't going to make it any better. 
You know what I mean? You know, me telling you, I know you're depressed because of the decisions that you made. Like I, I there, there's no reason for me to reaffirm you and say, Hey, good job. You're doing good. I, I'm, I'm just at a loss. I'm sorry. I know that's not the, maybe the best way to phrase that, but I'm just at such a loss to continue watching people walk down this road. Well, it's bad medicine. I think a lot of people think that the reason they don't feel happy is because there isn't fulfillment um, by outsiders that they think that if they were really, really good way to put that. Yeah, bad medicine. It's horrible. And not 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 the really good song, um, by the way. Uh, But I'm but actually the concept that they know they recognize that they're hurting, but they are taking something that makes them feel worse. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Please go. No, I mean, believe me, sometimes I wish my doctor would say, no, you know, everything you eat and do is fine and healthy and your body is great. And it's like, well, no, actually, what I need my doctor to do is tell me the truth. Like, this isn't good to eat junk food. And I think, yeah, so much of the LGBTQI, whatever movement, it really seems to need and seek outside affirmation in a way that suggests inner unhappiness. And I think it's really tragic. And I hope at some point they start to realize hey, we have all this outside affirmation now and we're still not happy. Mm-hmm. A what? movement that claims to be built on self-emanating pride and self-acceptance is really dependent on the acceptance of others. And yeah. if, that's not, if that's not a red flag, I don't know what is. Kate, thank you so much for hopping on. Kate Trinko, we'll make sure to link this article in the description for uh, tonight's show as well as the podcast. You are listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, You're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. It's the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and welcome back to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. I'm Tony Kinnett and I, I must tell you, I really, 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 really enjoy uh, watching the left meltdown these days because, um, you know, going back, you know, 10 or, or maybe 15 or so years uh, when it was said that Romney had this binder and it was a binder full of, of women that he, he wanted to work for. And everyone said, oh, this is so terrible. He's an evil, sexist, terrible, super-duper awful man. Right about that time, Senator Mitch McConnell uh, was on the floor of the Senate when Harry Reid began invoking the nuclear option for everything. The nuclear option, which is that instead of a larger majority, which was tradition and kind of the standard procedure, for a lot of Senate votes, including a lot of things like cabinet positions, etc., uh, they were just going to start shoving things through as soon as they had a one-vote majority. And I will never forget these words because they, they are some of my favorite on the show. Um, and without a doubt, it's him saying uh, the following. 
say to my friends on the other side of the aisle, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. Now, that can mean two things. Number one, it can mean that one side is, is going to give back to you uh, what you are have given to them in good measure and, and perhaps hit a lot stronger. We've certainly seen a lot of that in this election season so far, but there's also another facet of regretting something sooner than you might think, and that is when you cry wolf for absolutely everything, people stop listening. So the reason that you in a, in a political campaign might save some of your best barbs for last is so that they pack a punch and move the needle. And for a long time, individuals in both the Republican Party and the Democrat Party would kind of save their most vehement accusations uh, of some kind of affair or perhaps racism or sexism or some other kind of ism for the last part of the campaign. And you would do that with some kind of big breaking piece that would come out and everyone would scream and, and it might actually move the needle. The problem is, uh, well, I also should mention that you've always had people um, kind of calling the other party all of the ists and isms and phobes. Uh, those were just like the tabloid magazines that you would pick up uh, perhaps at the grocery store or the newspaper stand if you know you needed some funny reading that day. But the Democrat Party adopted a measure of calling every single thing that the Republican Party or conservatives or um, individuals that might have some kind of sympathies towards conservatism or libertarianism, uh, everything was Nazi, everything was fascist, everything's racist, everything's homophobic, transphobic, xenophobic, you name it. And uh, they have repeated the Nazi, fascist, whatever line over, like super like regular things uh, that voters don't care anymore. They don't care. We are in, I believe, according to the, to the statistic that we looked at earlier today, uh, we are now at our 410th accusation story from a member of Congress or a mainstream media outlet, 410th, yep, 410th, uh, this year of calling someone in the Republican Party um, who is not associated with neo-Nazis a Nazi or a fascist or whatever because they have, I don't know, breathed on the sidewalk. And there was a time when calling someone a Nazi or a fascist might actually move the needle. Oh, if that's a credible accusation, then that might actually change how people vote. But it has become completely meaningless. And you have reached a point where there are multiple outlets that are t today are screaming that Indiana's Attorney General Todd Rakita has engaged in fascism. Ooh, fascism. Why has he in engaged in, in fascism? Well, he launched a website in which parents and uh, teachers, administrators, and other concerned individuals may submit artifacts that are required to be, and I quote, primary sources, end quote, in order to give parents a little bit of accountability, uh, especially considering the record of many Indiana public schools over the last couple of years that have obfuscated, omitted, or just outright had staff that lied to parents and the greater public about uh, racially discriminatory policy, um, sexually inappropriate policy, um, gender transition plans for students, black-only college fairs, a lot of really weird stuff. And this is uh, apparently fascist. So there are now articles uh, from everywhere, from the Indiana Capitol Chronicle to Chalkbeat um, to many other kind of more micro outlets that aren't really necessarily on the mainstream that are losing their minds. Twitter is just a beautiful place this evening. I mean, people are renting burlap sacks 
uh, it, going into mourning. It's really funny. They're saying this is just like Hitler Youth. Oh, it's 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 fascism because it's encouraging people to report on one another. Oh no. Um, okay, guys, a little quick history lesson on the Stasi and on the Hitler Youth before them. Reporting private citizens is one thing for political crimes. Uh, submitting documents that are on the public server or are up in the classroom of a public school that is funded by taxpayer money is already a thing you can do by a Freedom of Information Act request. This theoretically cuts out a lot of the middleman. It's not fascism. You may not like it. You may hate it. You may say, ah, oh, this is a terrible, horrible thing and, and parents are going to gang up on schools. Sure. And you may not, not, you may not like that. And there may be situations like that, that, that come out of this, that are not in anyone's favor, but it's not fascism. I am sorry to bust your bubble, but screaming that Todd Rakita is a fascist is not going to hurt him in his reelection campaign. Now the Democrats will then say, well, that's because all Republican voters are fascists. Okay. Go ahead, please try that logic. Jess Piper, uh, and is a nutcase of a Democrat activist in Missouri who both lost an election and committed uh, campaign finance violations. Uh, she's been saying that all of, of this stuff that you're hearing, all of this this accountability and education, this school choice, uh, the, even the conversation about the border, it's just a bunch of Christian nationalism fascism. It's a bunch of people who want to come into your house and hit you with a Bible, and it's going to be just like that one book and that one TV series with the ladies in the red dresses and the white bonnets, and oh, it's just gonna be terrible. Um, no, it's not. And every time that you get in front of the public and you say silly, stupid things like this, you diminish the real criticisms that might actually be levied at, for example, Attorney General Rakita's project. Uh, there was, uh, there's a question that is now being asked as to whether individuals who submit the information can have their name and information posted online, as well as certain uh, complaints filed that include addresses, phone numbers, and things like that. That is a, a question. Again, as I said yesterday on the show, a program is one half of what the theory or the written script of it is. The other half of it is implementation. No matter how good a policy is on the books, only implementation will determine whether the policy was any good. And here's the, the real secret. Over the next couple of weeks, while there are individuals like the, the, uh, the <laughs> a Twitter account claiming to represent the hacker group Anonymous, um, claiming that uh, Rakita's website is to out schools that have black people in books. So again, continue yelling this stuff at the top of your lungs. Um, by all means, if you think that's really going to hurt Rakita, Go, go, go right ahead. It, it won't. Just like uh, when people screamed that Representative Jim Lucas from Southern Indiana, who I have criticized heavily for his uh, drunk driving charge, um, he, in the state house uh, was talking to a group of students and he was talking to them about concealed carrying. And then he opened his jacket to show them the gun in the holster on the side of his hip. And the Ken, the progressives ran around going, oh, he brandished his gun at him. The fascism, the evil. Oh, it's terrible. And you diminish any kind of criticism that you possibly could have leveled in a more even-handed voice. See, when you actually cite specifics like things that a bill says, actions that an individual has taken, policies that you don't like, and the specific language in said policies, pictures in the books, you give yourself credibility. You actually bring something of use to the conversation. But if your first response 
whenever you see something that you don't like is to immediately cry fascism, then I'm afraid you're not being taken seriously by pretty much anybody. And that in and of itself is realistically what we can expect here in the coming couple of months, because you're really not looking at a situation in which parties are going to calm down and, and kind of start piecing together reasons one should go vote for Biden and one should go vote for Trump or one should vote for the Democrats and one should vote for the Republicans. Realistically, what you are looking at over the next couple of months is Republicans consistently pointing at policies that have hurt the American citizens and Democrats responding by pointing and screaming at the top of their lungs, fascist, Nazi, racist, homophobe, and praying that it works. We'll have to see if it does come November. Thank you for tuning in this evening. This has been the Tony Kinnickcast, this episode exclusive to the live stream and podcast. We'll be back tomorrow on 93.1 FM out of Indianapolis and always here on the live stream and the podcast. Take care. 